I'll say, bless the Lord. If you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Good evening, Kairos. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, this is our honest and unique attempt to connect to God and each other. And we want to be the kind of place that engages the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody. Uh, I told you guys last week that February is my favorite month. And one of the reasons it is is because it's Black History Month. You're like, settle down, white boy. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Thank you. I see the hand. Is there any others? Um, I have a son who has dark skin, which is great. So I have a vested interest in understanding uh, his culture. And then also, um, I am a pastor who has brothers and sisters who have dark skin. And part of their experience means it's part of my experience. And the injustice that they suffer, I suffer. And I become a voice alongside of them, longing to see God's justice done here on earth as it is in heaven. Do I have white guilt or an ax to grind? No, I'm just someone who's trying to understand the justice and the mercy of God and how it plays out in our everyday lives. And when I look around and I see things that are not as they should be, I feel like we as believers have a right to stand up raise our voices, leverage our lives for God's kingdom and his causes, especially for those who have been oppressed and have had their voice taken from them. So that's just a short introduction to tell you I'm part of a book club with a bunch of white dudes and we read Just Mercy and it was awesome. My wife guilts me into being an extrovert in our neighborhood and so luckily I joined a book club like the little nerd that I am. Um, and there's a couple guys in there who are outside of the faith, and I can't wait to have gospel conversations with them. But the first book came up was uh, Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. Um, have you, any of you guys seen the movie that's out about him, right? Some of you are like, I don't care what it's about. I just know Michael B. Jordan's in that, and I can see that all day long, right? Nope, just some of the girls I talk to. Okay. <laughs> Brian Stevenson, Harvard-trained lawyer, takes his education um, and his skills and goes straight into the South, into Montgomery, and starts the Equal Justice Initiative where he never accepts a penny from any of his clients and decides to defend the poor, the ostracized, and the wrongly imprisoned who never had access to adequate legal care. And he wrote a book, and the stories in here should make you weep at the injustice that is being perpetrated upon people. And story after story after story that I now am aware of and I'm now responsible for understanding and realizing the systemic oppression and marginalization for those who are poor and do not have access to certain resources. As somebody on death row once said, it's called capital punishment because if you ain't got the capital, you get punished. No, okay, that's not where we live, okay. One story I wanna share for you because here's what I wanna arouse in you, a holy fire and a righteous indignation because that's part of the image of God in you. That you should be angry when injustice happens. That you should be mad, there should be a holy wrath in you that says this should not be and I wanna do something about it. He tells one story of a girl named Trina who she grew up as one of 12 children, the youngest, in one of the poorest sections in Philadelphia, high crime, worst school in the district, and also alone at a house with an abusive father who was an ex-fighter who often turned his violence on his wife. 
Ultimately, she dies and she's left alone with her abusive father who turns abusive verbally, sexually, and physically, so much so by the age of nine, she runs away from her home with her two older sisters. They're in the streets, they're homeless, they're picking out of garbage cans. Every once in a while, they'll find a place to stay with someone, but it doesn't last long because that environment turns abusive sexually and physically. By this time, she's starting to show signs of hampered intellectual abilities, mental illness due to trauma. Sometimes she'll start shaking uncontrollably as a nine-year-old because of all the things that she's been through. Someone will take her to the hospital, drop her off, and about 48 hours later, she's discharged because she doesn't have a penny to her name or access to the resources she needs to get counseling, care, and the diagnosis that she deserves. Finally, at the age of 14, after bouncing around, she's with a friend who's 16, and they're going off to meet some guys. So they're sneaking into a house, it's a row house, and they're trying to find the room that the boys are in that they wanna talk to as teenage girls. And Trina decides to start lighting matches so they can find their way to the room. But she doesn't realize that she's dropped one and it's caught fire. Everyone gets out of the house okay, except for two little boys who died of asphyxiation. And she is charged for second degree murder. As she goes, her lawyer comes to represent her who is later disbarred for criminal activity, does nothing to hold up her mental condition, her story, or the fact that she's a minor, allows her to be charged as an adult in a court of law. And underneath the law of Pennsylvania for second degree murder, you are sentenced to life in prison without parole for a crime that a mentally disabled, traumatized 14 year old committed. She's 16 years old and she's going straight to adult population in prison. She's vulnerable, she's weak, she's mentally handicapped. And one of the guards notices it, pulls her into a dark corner and rapes her. She's pregnant with his child, gives birth to her child in prison while handcuffed and they immediately take her child away from her and put her in foster care. As she's dealing with all these traumatic events, there seems to be one sliver of redemption. She files charges against the correctional officer who by DNA evidence was proved to be the father. She goes to court, they award her $62,000 worth in damages for the pain and suffering that she uh, got underneath the, the Department of Corrections. Only she never saw a penny of it because six months later it's overturned because the correctional officer appealed the charge because he was never allowed to tell the jury that she had been convicted of murder. And once they found that out, they awarded her nothing. To this day, she's 52 years old, multiple sclerosis, in a wheelchair, mentally disabled, traumatized, and not a penny to her name or the resources she needs for what the suffering she's endured. Does that break your heart? Does that make you wanna ball your fist up and go, no child should have to grow up like that? Does that make you wanna say, even though she made a huge mistake, there's gotta be a different way that we can figure out how to take care of our kids and rehabilitate them and find a way to execute justice that's not cruel and unusual? Does anybody wanna go, why are these things happening? And one of the parts of we're sitting in our book club, I'm going, yes, that's a divine unction in you. Whether you can name it or not, when you say this should not be, you are referencing the fact that there is a divine creator and he created this world to be a different way. And that's an incredible place to start. And in Romans 3.23, we get the bird's eye view of what's happened. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But my question for you tonight that I want us to wrestle with as we go into the text, 
as we take a look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we know that God is just. We know that God is for justice. What does the Lord require? Do justice, love mercy, walk with God. Part of all of his mandates are take care of the poor, take care of the lost, take care of the orphan, take care of those who are oppressed and needy. This is who I am. I am the God of the fatherless. We know this, right? God is about justice. If God is so much about justice, how can he be a God of mercy also without invalidating his justice? Let me say it a simpler way. If God is fair, how can he forgive? So does God just wink at all of our wrongdoings and just go, <laughs> it's okay, come on in, you're good. Not that big a deal. No, why? Because his justice demands it. Who is it? W.H. Uh, Auden said it this way. I like committing crimes. God likes forgiving. It's a wonderful arrangement. Sad thing is, as many of you live your life that way. I like sinning. God likes to forgive. It's a wonderful arrangement. And Paul has to say to his church and to you tonight, do we go on sinning that grace may abound? God forbid you've not understood the mercy and the justice of God. You've not understood that his holy wrath burns against wickedness, injustice, and oppression in all forms. And we should have a healthy fear of the Lord and cling to the cross of Jesus Christ that says, if it weren't for you, I never stood a chance. Guilty is charged. Because I don't know about you, if left to my own devices, I want mercy for me and justice for every single one of you. That's George Carlin, the old comedian, he used to say it this way, we kind of do moral subjectivity. Anytime you're on the interstate, anyone who's driving too slow, what, they're a total idiot. Anyone who drives too fast, maniac! Based off of how you're driving, right? While every maniac's passing you going, idiot. Well, I'm not as bad as such and such. Well, I don't do this, so I must be okay. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Read a couple of verses up above that in Romans chapter three, and it says, God shuts the world's mouth and holds them all accountable under the law. You delight in showing mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment, not over justice. How can his mercy and his justice go hand in hand? How can God be fair and still forgive? How can these paradoxical polarities of ideas find their union in Jesus Christ? Well, here's the, what we've been using to try to describe the big story that we find ourselves in. We've said that we've got beauty, which is in the garden. We've got brokenness, which is the fall. We've got baptism in which we are baptized into the blood of Jesus Christ, into his forgiveness and his favor, and then we are released for blessing. Succinct way to describe the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So brokenness, as we see tonight, this world is fractured. We understand that all the things left to our own devices, it doesn't matter how much education, wealth, technology, or prosperity we have, we are not fixing the condition of the human heart or the systems that constantly put down other people for our benefit. It's everywhere, right? You can see it. Just, I'll, I'll let you borrow my book. You'll see plenty of examples of brokenness. 
Pick your favorite flavor, which is why one of the questions that we try to ask as a church is a spiritual challenge question. It says this, what is breaking your heart in the world and what are you doing about it? Why is that a spiritual challenge question? Because I wanna know what part of the heart of God and you is breaking in the world and how are you understanding your divine purpose to bring about his justice through the mercy of your presence? But oftentimes, the very thing you're praying for God's justice for, you're the answer to your own prayer requests. I'm sure Brian Stevens wanted to make sure that people who had no access to legal assistance because of poverty and injustice, Lord, I hope you provide someone to help them. It's you. This is what I would call your holy dissatisfaction. And oftentimes, I believe it comes from our sacred wound something that you've experienced that is unjust, oppressive, and hurt you deeply. But when the enemy intended for evil, God has redeemed and turned it for good. And your divine purpose and your energy flows out of that. So even as you're healing, you're being healed. So we understand brokenness, right? And this comes from our beauty, that we were in the garden. God had glorious goals for the human race. We are to reflect his glory. We have work to do, intimacy, passion, and purpose all arranged for us. But we decided to do our own thing and we ran away in sin. So by the way, you have it right here. Romans 3, 23 in a pictograph. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many church culture nerds do I have in here and you memorize Romans 3, 23 as part of the Romans road? Finish it for me. For all have sinned. Gosh, that sounds so Baptist. It's unbelievable. (laughs) Then Jesus saves you and you live a joyless life still under condemnation. Right? What's the problem with that? This is half the gospel, which most of us only get. This is why I'm part of a church that wants to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Anywhere, anytime, with anybody. Most of us and most of our friends live in this cyclical pattern. They understand there's something deeper, truer, more beautiful and holy and perfect that they're after and they realize it's broken and in their brokenness, they're trying to pursue it and they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth spending their entire lives chasing after the wind, thinking I'm the answer to satisfying what is deepest in me, not that it's outside of me and it lies in someone else's story. And even I see Christians doing this, unfortunately, you have some sort of scales that you're weighing in the balance and you're hoping at the end of the day, you do more good than wrong. I'm a pretty good person. So if there is an afterlife, I think God will let me in. He's not letting these people in because they're really, really bad. I'm just kind of bad. Here's the problem is because your salvation depends on you, you'll never have security. But if salvation comes from outside of you and it comes from Jesus Christ, then you can have ultimate security. Can anybody help me out with this? Um, For all of sin, complete that. Right, that's Romans 3.23. Romans 3.24 says? Romans 3.24 says? Romans 3.24 says? No. And are justified freely. That's the full gospel. It doesn't stop here. And are justified freely. 
by his grace through the redemption that Jesus Christ brought. That's why we need three circles because down here is the cross of Jesus Christ. If we repent and believe, confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in this moment, the justice of God meets the mercy of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that Jesus Christ brought. Here's what I'm scared of. We don't have a complete picture of the gospel, so we're living in half the gospel and full of condemnation. We don't know our divine rights and our divine responsibilities. So the best thing we have at the end of the day is please Jesus, don't let bad stuff happen to me. Rather than stepping up as active agents of redemption, bringing the full weight of our story and the full weight of our brokenness to the full weight of his redemption. Also, I'm nervous, man. I have to confess to you, I I grew up in a really, mm, what's the the word that doesn't trigger anybody? Really religious, crusty, legalistic environment, okay? We love the wrath of God. We love the walk, okay? We would guilt and shame and condemn people to death. And I was traumatized by that. And I'm a, this little ADD kid who can't follow the rules to begin with. And I got truckloads of shame and I got room for more of it. And so I spent my entire 20s trying to work through the shame that God not only loves me, but he actually likes me. I'm acceptable in his presence. And so that was a big deal for me. But now that I'm getting into my 40s and I'm watching uh, some of where culture is going and the state of preaching, we don't talk about the wrath of God anymore. because it seems abusive, egotistical. And I understand a lot of us, we never had a good definition of parental love and discipline. That any expression of anger was abuse towards us. That's not true with God. He is, Psalm 711 says this, God is angry every day at the wickedness that he sees. He is the righteous judge and he feels indignation. You know what I heard quote that scripture? 20 year old, six foot eight black man who when they said, how do you reconcile the God of scripture and the injustice you experience on a daily basis? He says, I go to Psalm 711 and know that God is angry with me. Maybe we've lost our ability to have a holy anger because we've stopped preaching the anger of God against injustice and oppression and violence in every form of which some of it we are complicit simply because we choose not to know. The definition of privilege is this. If it's not my problem, it's not a problem. And I don't know about you, but when my brothers and sisters come to the cross of Jesus Christ, you have been adopted into our family. And if you are oppressing, abusing, and taking advantage of my brother and sister, I'm stepping into the conversation. God has something to say about it, and I'm his son, so I have something to say about it as well. 
And I wanna know if we got a room full of people and a generation full of Christians that are going, hey, let's put our best prayer, effort, theology, resources, creative solutions and conversations to figure out a better way to move forward. Or do we just go, you know what? That's too much for me to handle. I don't wanna talk about that. The cross of Jesus Christ speaks a different word. I think we're trying to get rid of the wrath of God. I think we need to understand that he is angry about wickedness. He's angry about what happened to you as a child. He's angry about the pain that you've endured. But his anger is satisfied on the death of Jesus Christ. The cross has the final word. I don't know if this will make sense or not. I think this is the best way I know to put it because again, uh, Reinhold Niebuhr reminds us if we drift too far away from understanding of God's wrath and justice, what we are going to do is we're gonna preach a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without justice or judgment with a Christ without a cross. And the gospel is being neutered. I think we are men and women who can think long and hard and hold intention. We have a God of justice and we have a God of mercy and it was never more full on display than it was on the cross of Jesus Christ. When he was the atonement for our sins, when the wrath of God put to death the lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world. Romans 8 will say it this way, and so God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met. Again, I don't know if this is helpful. It it may sound weird, but um, sometimes I take my wife for granted. (laughs) I know that's crazy. We're gonna be married 20 years uh, this year. Uh, Still haven't figured out what we're doing, let alone for Valentine's Day. So I take my wife for granted sometimes. (laughs) You can't tell. She's amazing. Like she's so strong in all the ways that I'm not strong. So much of our life runs and functions because of her as an individual, as a Christian, as a mother, and as a spouse. I have to confess to you, there's sometimes I'm like, yeah, you could be doing more. Like this is the thought that went through my mind. Just so we're clear, last night, my wife is up with my daughter who's spiking 105 fever the whole night. I wake up in the morning and realize I don't have any shirts that are ironed for Kairos. And I'm like, we gotta get this schedule down. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and I'm like, watch out for the wrath of God for that one. <laughs> Here's what God does for me that is a true gift. About once every four or five months, he gives me a dream. And in that dream, she doesn't marry me. And I miss her. She's just someone I know who has a different life. But I know I had a chance with her, but I blew it. And when I wake up, I scoot over and I just hold her closer and I say, I'm so lucky I got you. I'm so thankful for you. She loves it when I have those dreams. She's probably like, you need to have that every day, Chris, okay? (laughs) She gets real happy when she has the dream. She never married me. I'm like, why are you in such a good mood? When, as a believer, I think about the wrath of God, it makes me hold the cross a little bit closer. 
and say, I'm so lucky. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your forgiveness, your reconciliation, and your redemption. And I've got work to do. There's people in my family who are hurting, and there are people in your family that have not yet found their way home. So thank you. Amen. So we want to preach the Bible clearly and give you about 120 seconds and some soul space to respond to that. I want you to just feel the weight that God is just in his mercy and that the cross has the final word. So uh, if you want to write something out, if the Lord's put something on your heart, what's the one thing you came here tonight to hear? I think this is how we become participants in the voice of God and the will of God and to make sure we don't stagnate. But if this is a new practice for you, I'd give you two prompting questions. Where in your life right now do you wanna see the justice of God? Who do you wanna cry out for and say, Lord, this should not be this way. Would you bring your justice to bear on this situation? Where do you want to pray with the psalmist? I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Where do you want to see justice? What's breaking your heart in the world today? That's breaking God's heart. And the second question I would ask you is where do you need mercy? Where do you need mercy? Because also like the psalmist says, we are watching and we are waiting. We are holding our breath, awaiting your word of mercy. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us. I want us to listen together and then we're gonna stand up and worship and um, I know that's not often that we do this in our culture. I hope you know you're invited to come forward at any time that you want to. But just for the sake, uh, for those in the congregation who need to respond with their body so that what's happening spiritually can actually be confirmed. While we're singing, this altar over here on the steps is open and this one is open. Let's call this side justice. <laughs> Let's call this side mercy. If you need to get on your knees and plead for mercy, the altar's open. If you need to come over here and get on your knees and plead for justice and ask the Lord how you might be a part of it, this side is open. And I guess if you just need the cross of Jesus Christ and you need justice and mercy to meet, truth and faithfulness to kiss, then you're welcome right here. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening.